It's nearly 12 o'clock, and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. Broadcasting on 100.1 FM, we are your public radio station here in Kodiak, Alaska, where it is presently 64 degrees up here on Signal Hill, 60 degrees in the cool valley of the airport with a few clouds, northeast winds to 6, humidity at 75% and 10 miles of visibility. Mostly cloudy skies for the rest of the day with high near 62, south winds to 5, becoming completely calm today. Rain is likely tonight, mainly between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. Cloudy skies overnight with a low around 56. Light and variable winds will turn to the southwest tonight to 10 miles per hour after midnight. And then tomorrow, a chance of rain in the morning, turning to isolated showers. Cloudy skies are expected to become mostly sunny as the day wears on tomorrow. Coming up on the Midday Report, Kodiak's invasive crayfish get a little shock therapy. Two parents in Ketchikan School District are suing over the use of traditional tribal values at school. And the U.S. EPA is being sued over Fairbanks Air. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Biden administration has declared monkeypox a public health emergency. Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra says vaccines, treatments, and tests are available. We now have the capacity to administer uh, some 80,000 tests per week. That has continued to rise, and uh, we continue to try to encourage Americans to seek out a place to be tested. The virus resembles smallpox. So far, the administration says there have been more than 6,600 cases detected in the U.S. That's likely an undercount. Worldwide, more than 26,000 cases have been confirmed. The vast majority of monkeypox cases in this country are concentrated in the LGBTQ community, primarily among men who have sex with men. A Russian court has sentenced WNBA star Brittany Griner to nine years in prison on drug charges. NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports the U.S. has proposed a deal widely believed to be a prisoner swap in hopes that she will get home along with another American who's jailed in Russia. Secretary of State Antony Blinken accuses Russia of using people as political pawns and wrongfully detaining Americans to advance Moscow's agenda. The U.S. considers Greiner wrongfully detained. That's also the case with Paul Whelan, an American serving a long prison sentence on espionage charges. Blinken has made an offer that he hopes will result in their release. It reportedly includes a prisoner swap with a notorious Russian arms dealer. The secretary discussed that proposal last week with Russia's foreign minister. Both men are currently in Cambodia for a regional meeting. U.S. officials, though, say Blinken has no plans to hold separate talks with Sergei Lavrov here. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Phnom Penh. Facebook says a troll farm posting pro-Russian propaganda about the war in Ukraine is linked to the notorious Internet Research Agency, which interfered in the 2016 U.S. election. NPR Shannon Bond reports the trolls post their lies where they know they'll get seen. The troll farm, based in St. Petersburg, Russia, calls itself Cyberfront Z. 
Facebook says it paid people to use fake accounts on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms to make pro-Russian comments on posts by celebrities and media outlets. The group also ran a public Telegram channel urging volunteers to do the same. But Facebook says it wasn't very successful and was caught quickly. The company took down around 1,000 fake accounts on Instagram and 45 on Facebook. It says more than half the Instagram accounts were caught by automated systems soon after they were created. Facebook parent Meta pays NPR to license NPR content. Shannon Bond, NPR News. Before the close, the Dow was down 85 points at 32,726. From Washington, this is NPR News. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. The Shunak tribe of Kodiak has been looking for ways to reduce the number of invasive signal crayfish from the island's Buskin Lake in order to protect crucial salmon habitat. As KMXT's Dylan Samard reports, Tribal biologists are trying a shocking new method to try to thin their ranks. Matt Van Dale is the Shunak tribe's natural resources director. On a recent Wednesday morning, he went to Buskin Lake to test out a new method of catching the invaders, an electrofishing pack. We're going to try to make these mud bugs ride the lightning. The pack looks like it comes from Ghostbusters. A large battery connects to a control box mounted onto a hiking backpack frame. It connects to a long rod with a hoop at the end. A long rat tail extends behind the pack, with an exposed stretch of wire at the end that drags behind Van Dale and his team, completing a circuit from the hoop at the end of the rod, through the water, and back up the tail. There's a lot of current running through that wire, enough to temporarily paralyze small freshwater animals. When it comes to hunting juvenile crayfish, the current propels them out of hiding and into Van Dale's waiting net. Oh, he's gone. Will Frost is the instructor for this electrofishing expedition. The former habitat biologist with Alaska's Department of Fish and Game was hired as a consultant by the Shunak tribe. He says that the electric shocks don't harm other wildlife. It doesn't really hurt them. It just uh, flexes their muscles sporadically, and it gets them to come to the surface, and we can net them up, ID them, and so if we get juvenile uh, salmon, we can just reach return those, put them in a bucket, let them recover real quick, and then return them to the water. After a few hours, Van Dale has a small menagerie of crayfish in his net. Juveniles and adult crayfish close to the shore are all affected by the electricity. The electrofishing pack might seem like an extreme solution, but Van Dale says Buskin Lake's crayfish are an extreme problem. They present an existential threat to the salmon population, and the Shunak tribe has been trying to eradicate them before they spread to other salmon habitats. The electrofishing pack is another way to fight the problem. The whole point of this was to try to catch the the smaller ones and the juveniles that otherwise we wouldn't necessarily be able to catch when we're diving. We're doing exactly that. I mean, granted, I would like to be catching the, the adults more easily too, but you know that's why we have a bunch of different tools in our toolbox to deal with uh, these mud bugs. The Shunak tribe of Kodiak has scheduled two community crayfish boils this summer in an effort to get locals involved in eradicating the pest from the Buskin Lake. Participants can help collect the mud bugs and will get to boil their crayfish and eat them on site. In Kodiak, I'm Dylan Simard. Two parents are suing Ketchikan School District over a school's use of traditional tribal values. KRBD's Reagan Miller has this report. In the hallways and classrooms of Ketchikan Charter School are posters with a list of traditional Alaska Native values. 
The 14 Southeast traditional tribal values range from respect for self, elders, and others, and speak with care, to things like discipline and obedience to the traditions of our ancestors and reverence for our Creator. That last point has proven controversial. I feel that one of the values, reverence for our creators, is undeniably a religious statement about creationism. That's parent Justin Brees speaking at a school board meeting in April. He filed the suit on July 25th along with his wife, Rebecca King, who's also a kindergarten teacher at the charter school. In their lawsuit against Ketchikan Charter School and Ketchikan School District, the couple argues that the school's use of the values violates the First Amendment and the state's constitution. The lawsuit takes particular issue with the school's value of the week program, which rewards students that exemplify the values. Here's King speaking to the school board in April. This system rewards students for showing the tribal values and show, for showing the tribal values and holds it up as what all students should strive for. In our school, the Ketchikan Charter School, a student is highlighted and given a reward for embodying the value of the week. She said she disagrees in modeling one culture as what is best or right. She thinks the values should be taught in lessons about culture and that culture should be represented in the classroom. Brees told the board that he wanted the values to be presented in context. I personally think that we can do better than just posting cultural values in our classrooms. While opposed to this posting, I also don't believe that it is an effective way to build cultural respect. He submitted a formal request asking the school district to take the posters down and restrict the use of the document to lessons about tribal values and beliefs. But the district declined. A decision by district business manager Katie Parrott found that the values represented a native outlook on life. She says that there isn't an overall religion specific to Southeast Alaska that the values advocate. She said the values were used for cultural rather than religious education. Brees appealed to the school board, which upheld the district's ruling. Now, Brees and King are asking Ketchikan Superior Court Judge Catherine Librand to order the district to take down the posted values from common areas and stop using them to promote good behavior. Ketchikan's school district has yet to respond to the lawsuit in court. Superintendent Michael Robbins referred questions to the district attorney, Clinton Campion, who did not return phone calls on Wednesday. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Regan Miller. A coalition of local, state, and national groups are suing the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency over the Fairbanks North Pole area's poor wintertime air quality. A release issued by the nonprofit environmental law organization Earth Justice says the Sierra Club, Alaska Community Action on Toxics, and the Fairbanks-based Citizens for Clean Air have sent a notice of intent to sue the EPA for missing a, quote, fourth deadline in four years to address Fairbanks' air pollution problem. It says the EPA missed a June 15th deadline to rule on an updated state plan to bring the area into compliance with federal fine particulate pollution standards. The agency tightened those standards in 2006, and a large portion of Fairbanks and North Pole was identified as a non-attainment area in 2009 due to winter air pollution primarily attributed to wood burning. Earth Justice says this will be the fifth time the groups have sued the EPA in the last eight years to speed regulatory action on Fairbanks North Pole air quality. An EPA-funded wood stove change-out program has paid for the removal or replacement of wood stoves, and local levels of health-threatening fine particulates have come down significantly over the past decade, but the area is still far from achieving a federal Clean Air Act standard by a 2024 deadline. 
There are thousands of job openings listed in Anchorage and not enough workers to fill them. That's a major takeaway from the three-year economic outlook from the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation. As Alaska Public Media's Wesley Early reports, the corporation is feeling good about the city's economic future, but there are challenges ahead. AEDC CEO Bill Pop says he's optimistic for Anchorage's future over the next three years. We see job growth on the horizon, new investments lining up for our city, and opportunities in several industries for expansion. Pop, who, full disclosure, is a member of Alaska Public Media's board of directors, addressed a packed audience of business leaders at the Denina Center Wednesday. Even before the pandemic, Pop says the state was in rough fiscal waters as the price of oil began to drop in 2016. The lower 48 economy was red hot from 2015 to early 2020, before COVID, while Anchorage and Alaska were in the longest recession our state had seen in decades. Pop says that led to a large number of workers leaving the state. Fast forward to 2022, and Pop says there are record numbers of job openings in Anchorage, but not enough workers to fill them. Pop says it's not because people don't want to work. There are not thousands of workers sitting at home playing video games or watching TV rather than going to work because of government subsidies or unemployment benefits. Anchorage currently has a 79% labor force participation rate. Pop says that rate is very high, and that means that the city needs to grow its workforce to keep up with job openings. As far as where the jobs are, Pop says the transportation industry, construction, and business sectors are all gaining jobs. Additionally, the Ted Stevens Anchorage International Airport is now the fourth busiest cargo airport in the world, and officials anticipate record numbers of passengers by 2025. Oil and gas, health care, and state jobs are among sectors on the decline. Pop says the biggest success is the tourism industry. This sector leads job growth in our city, adding over 2,600 jobs so far in 2022. Hotels are packed and rates are are way up. Convention bookings are rebounding solidly. Passenger numbers at the airport are nearly at pre-pandemic levels, all in the face of a relentless shortage of workers to fill hundreds of jobs going vacant for lack of workers. He says one issue that needs to be addressed to get more workers to the state's largest city will be housing. Anchorage didn't build a lot of housing as the pandemic slowed the city down. The price of housing has also gone up, with the average Anchorage home valued at just over $450,000. Pop says there are record low numbers of homes being listed. Our problem there is that we're land poor in terms of readily, easily developable housing. But we're also developing housing that's more focused backwards in our perspective. We need to start thinking about the kinds of housing that will create new opportunities for changing tastes in housing. And that's going to be more vertical in some parts of Anchorage. Pop says that building strategy could increase the number of downtown residents from about 1,000 to over 5,000. AEDC officials predict an increase of about 500 homes across the city by the end of the year. Pop says the city will also have to invest in making Anchorage a more attractive place to live. He describes Oklahoma City as the gold standard example of a boom-bust oil town like Anchorage that was able to transform into a major tech and tourism destination due to city investment over 30 years with a 1% sales tax. Oklahoma City, between their sales tax and their bonds, put in over a billion dollars of public works infrastructure and public amenities infrastructure into their city across the board. They have have quantified that as over $5 billion worth of private sector, one-to-one, you know, know, because of this billion dollars the city put in, $5 billion in private sector investment has resulted in their city. 
and not just in downtown, all over their city. Pop says making major strides in developing Anchorage will require a similar investment. These projects take a decade or more to get done. You know, the business community and the community at large has got to be there saying, okay, this is what we agreed to, this is where we're going, and we can't change course because it's a new administration. We've got to move on and continue to focus on what we all agreed to at the beginning. And I think that's one of the big secrets to Oklahoma City's success. Pop says a contingent of business officials from Anchorage will travel to Oklahoma City in the coming months in order to gauge how best to replicate that city's success back home. In Anchorage, I'm Wesley Early. Here in Kodiak, I'm Terry Haynes. As some fish stocks crash and others boom, Alaska's marine management systems are challenged to respond. There's more demand for people who know both marine science and have policy expertise. Starting next month, University of Alaska Fairbanks and University of Alaska Southeast will be offering a new graduate degree in marine policy. KUAC's Robin has this report. The increasing effects of climate change on marine ecosystems is pushing managers to have a working knowledge of both natural science and how to tell people why it matters. Dr. Keith Criddle of the College of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences at UAF has his office in Juneau. He's been working on opening this degree program for years. Yeah, what we've heard for years from our fisheries graduates and their employers, you know, as they've gone on and gone to work in the agencies or with industry or NGO, uh, gee, they do great. They're really respected for their science. And then they find themselves promoted and where they have to start doing management. The new program was approved by university regents just in May and is an example of two campuses working together. CFOS in Fairbanks and the University of Alaska Southeast School of Arts and Sciences now offer a Master of Marine Policy degree. Criddle says the demand for such study was evident when they applied to formally offer the program by the letters of support that came in. And we, we got letters from the Commissioner of Fish and Game who said, this is exactly what we've needed and we've wanted it for a long time. We got a letter from the chair of the Board of Fisheries, the executive director of the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council, the executive director of uh, ASME, the U.S. Coast Guard, the Juneau Economic Development Council, the major seafood processing, shore-based and offshore uh, organizations, and National Marine Fisheries Service. Alaska has a diverse ocean management network. Some fisheries are managed by the state, some by the federal government. Marine mammals are protected except for traditional use. Fish don't observe borders, and what happens in Canada and Russia affects Alaska. Alaska lands roughly 60% of the total U.S. catch of fish and shellfish. That puts us on par with places like Norway and Japan in terms of total fisheries production. We'd be number seven in the world. Criddle is the Ted Stevens Distinguished Professor of Marine Policy. He says the program designers are working on ways to recruit more indigenous students, especially from communities impacted by fishery and marine mammal policies. One of these is a stakeholder advisory board, and we'll look for uh, broad representation to come into that to help us with those questions. He's ready for people to sign up right now and start the program in a few weeks. The program is open to students, but also to working professionals who are looking to upgrade their policy credentials. And so we're pretty late in the curve for going for fall, but I've had over a dozen inquiries so far. You know, these have been coming in from graduating seniors. A lot have been coming in from Department of Fish and Game. 
Criddle says marine policy graduates will be ready for jobs in federal agencies, tribal organizations, state agencies, non-governmental organizations, and private industry in Alaska, the nation, and across the world. In Fairbanks, I'm Robin. Insight Daily Radio. From food to fashion, science to tech talk, or for just plain fun, we've got you covered. From the art of all things, here's Lasana Jeffries. In the course of its average 20 months in circulation, U.S. currency gets touched and traded perhaps thousands of times. And every touch to every bill brings specks of dirt, food, germs, and even drug residue. According to a 2002 study published in the Southern Medical Journal, 94% of the tested bills had potentially disease-causing organisms. In short, money is a dirty business. But as of late, research reinforced previous findings that 90% of paper money circulating in U.S. cities contains traces of cocaine. Scientists say the amount of cocaine found on bills is not enough to cause health risks and certainly not enough to give anyone a contact high. But 90%? How does this happen? To begin with, cocaine binds to the green dye in money. And money can be contaminated with cocaine during drug deals or if a user snorts with a bill or handles bills after the fact. But not all bills are involved in drug use. They can get contaminated inside currency counting machines at the bank. When the machine gets contaminated, it transfers the cocaine to the other banknotes. Bills turned up positive for cocaine use more in certain cities like Detroit, Boston, Orlando, Miami. Los Angeles is 100% positive, while two cities in China and UMass Dartmouth has 0%. Also, $5 bills, $10, $20, and $50 bills are more likely to be positive for cocaine than $1 bills, probably because it isn't enough to purchase cocaine with. So, wash your hands. And thanks for listening. I'm Lisana Jeffries. Insight Daily Radio. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to Thursday. It is the fourth day of August, the year 2022. Had to think. The sun rose today at 6.11. It will set again at 10.18. That will give us 16 hours and 8 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 22 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 39 degrees set in 1973, and our record high was 78 degrees set in 1983. Currently 60 degrees out at the airport, a full 66 degrees up here on Signal Hill. They have 75% humidity at the airport, northeast winds to 6 and 10 miles of visibility. Cloudy skies for the rest of the day with south winds to 5 miles per hour becoming completely calm. We're expecting rain tonight between 1 and 4 a.m. Cloudy skies otherwise with a low of 56. For tomorrow, a chance of rain between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Isolated showers after that. And those cloudy skies tomorrow are expected to gradually become mostly sunny, with a high near 61 tomorrow. Looking at our local tides, we have a low tide coming up in just a few minutes here on the east side. That will happen at 12.42 this afternoon and be 1.3 feet, followed by a high tide at 7.15 p.m. of 8 feet. 
Over on the west side, you have a low tide coming up at 1.11 p.m. That will be a 2.1-foot tide. And your high tide this evening will happen at 7.44 p.m. and be 13.3 feet. Mariners, be aware, there is a gale warning for tomorrow for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side. West winds to 20 knots today and seas to 7 feet. For tonight, southwest 30, seas to 10 feet. And for tomorrow on our east side, southwest 35, we'll come down to west 25 in the afternoon, seas to 13 feet tomorrow. Over in the Shellacoff Strait, small craft advisory through Friday. Southwest winds to 25 knots today and seas to 5 feet. For tonight, southwest 25 seas to 6 feet. And for tomorrow, southwest 25 seas to 7 feet, coming up to 8 feet on Friday night. Well, let's see what the Alaska Department of Fish and Game has to say in their brand new announcement. Hello, this is the Alaska Department of Fish and Game in Kodiak with Kodiak Commercial Salmon Fishery Advisory Announcement number 21, date issued 10 a.m. on August 4th. There will be a 48-hour extension to the current commercial salmon fishing period from 9 p.m. Thursday, August 4th, until 9 p.m. Saturday, August 6th, in the following areas, in the Isuit Bay, Inner Katoy Bay, and Outer Katoy Bay sections of the Fognac District. Closed waters will be reduced until 9 p.m. Saturday, August 6th, in Katoy Bay to the fishing game markers located at Little Katoy and Big Katoy Bays, near stream numbers 252-323 and 252-324. There will be a 24-hour extension to the current commercial salmon fishing period from 9 p.m. Thursday, August 4th, until 9 p.m. Friday, August 5th, in the following areas. The outer Carlock and Sturgeon sections of the southwest Kodiak District, the east side Kodiak District, except for the inner Ugak Bay and outer Ugak Bay sections, remain closed, and the Humpy Deadman section of the Alatak District. As previously announced, the following areas will close to commercial salmon fishing at 9 p.m. Thursday, August 4th. The Mainland District, the Duck Bay, Northwest of Fognac, Paranosa Bay, Northeast of Fognac, Southeast of Fognac, and Raspberry Strait sections of the Fognac District. The following areas are currently scheduled to close at 9 p.m. Friday, August 5th. The Cape Alatac, Alatac Bay, Mosier Bay, and Olga Bay sections of the Alatac District. The Northwest Kodiak District, except for the Anton Larson Bay, Sheratine Bay, Kajuiak Bay, and Spearn Bay sections remain closed and the southwest of Fognac section of the Fognac District. Cost recovery fisheries are now scheduled to begin in Katoi Bay Special Harvest Area on August 7th. Fishing opportunities in the Duck Bay, Isuit, Inner and Outer Katoi Bay sections will depend on the ability to meet KRAA cost recovery needs, and all cost recovery information may be obtained by calling 486-6559. The Spearden Bay Special Harvest Area remains open until further notice. Fishermen are reminded that until further notice, in that portion of the northwest and southwest Kodiak District south of the latitude of Cape Cooley at King Salmon, 28 inches or greater in length, may not be retained by purse-saying gear in the commercial fishery and must be returned to the water unharmed. Other closed waters are shown in the Kodiak area salmon statistical chart and detailed in commercial salmon fishing regulations and statistical charts. Harvest strategies and commercial salmon fishing regulations are available at the Kodiak Fishing Game Office. And, of course, the most recent salmon fishery information may be obtained by calling the department's 24-hour record-a-phone at 486-4559. Thank you very much. Good luck fishing. This is the Alaska Department of Fishing Game. The following are upcoming Kodiak Island Borough public meetings. On Thursday, August 4th, the Assembly will be having their regular meeting in the Assembly Chambers. That will be happening at 6.30 p.m. On Wednesday, August 10th, the Planning and Zoning Commission will be having a work session, also in the Assembly Chambers, at 6.30 p.m. These meetings are open to the public, and the meeting packets are available on the Kodiak Island Borough website. 
please contact the borough clerk's office at 907-486-9310 with any questions. Kodiak 4-H hopes you'll come out on Saturday at 1.30 to the Kodiak Baptist Missions Arena for their third annual Kodiak 4-H dog show. This event is free to the public. Come after the farmer's market and help show your support for our 4-H members who have been working hard in the last few months, building relationships with and training their dogs in the, Co- in the Kodiak 4-H dog project. Again, that is next Saturday at the Kodiak Baptist Mission Arena starting at 1.30. For more information, call them up at 486-1503 or look up Kodiak 4-H on Facebook. Also, this weekend, Kodiak Kiwanis Kids Pink Salmon Derby is happening. That's happening Saturday and Sunday starting at 10 a.m. going to 1 p.m. That's for kids kids age 3 to 15. Participants can enter one of two days. Registration is free, but it is required. Sign in at the picnic area at the mouth of the Buskin. Hot dogs will be served there, too. Remember, there is a $5 charge for parking unless you already have a state park sticker in your window. Well, the city of Kodiak is working on Powell Avenue. You may have noticed near the school there, it will be closed through next week. Starting, um, it started Tuesday. It will be closed pretty much all week. And please find alternate routes. Also, the St. Paul Harbor boat ramp is about to undergo repair. That's going to start on Monday, and will probably go all the way through the rest of the month. Please use alternate parking and drive safely around the area. And remember, you won't be able to launch your boat at the boat ramp in St. Paul Harbor starting on Monday. The Kodiak Community Foundation, an affiliate of the Alaska Community Foundation, is pleased to present an introductory workshop for grants, for local, statewide, and national grants. The workshop is happening August 13th, 10 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the Kodiak Public Library. Register by emailing bcooper at alaskacf.org. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.